So we are in 2 Peter chapter 3, nearing the end of this study. And last week we were in, chapter, in verses 8 and 9. And in verses 8 and 9, we saw that there were two reasons that were given why Jesus hadn't returned yet. Why there was this delay that it seemed. People were expecting that Jesus should have returned already. They thought he was going to come uh, just right away and he wasn't there. And there were scoffers saying, well, I guess he's not coming back and this is ridiculous. It's, uh, you know, it's been years. And now it's been nearly uh, 2,000 years that we've been waiting. But we saw last week, first of all, that God's time is not like our time. It said that for God, that uh, for him, we can tell now, 2,000 years is just like a blink in the eye for him. It's less than that because he's an eternal God and his just view of time is different. We, so often we want things done on our pace and our timeline, uh, but God is playing the long game. And we also saw in verse 9 from last week, one of God's reasons is he's still got more people he wants to see saved. There's more people in his plan to be saved, and he's waiting and allowing for that to happen. If he came back uh, too early, things would be different in that respect. And we also saw that God is, uh, has this desire for people to be saved, that he he. He really does want sinners to return to him for salvation. And so if you are still in your rebellion against God, or if you've been ignoring him, know that he loves you that much. That Jesus Christ came to this world, that God-man came to die on the cross for you. And he calls you, he wants you to turn to him to be saved. So we saw that uh, last week, and this week we're going to look at was the coming of the day of the Lord or it's also called here the day of God. And just because God is patient, it doesn't mean that he's not coming. He is coming. We can know that. We can be sure of that. Jesus will return suddenly, we'll see, like a, like a thief in the night. And the day of the Lord will result in the destruction of this world and the establishment of new heavens and new earth. And all of this, as we think about it, should change our lives and how we live here and now. So let's read this passage, and I think I'd like to, uh, just to get the whole context, let's, let's start again at the beginning of chapter 3, so we can uh, see this all together. <clears throat> so Second Peter chapter 3, this is now the second letter that I'm writing to you, beloved. In both of them, I am stirring up your sincere mind by way of reminder that you should remember the predictions of the holy prophets and the commandment of the Lord and Savior through your apostles, Knowing this, first of all, that scoffers will come in the last days with scoffing, following their own sinful desires. And they will say, where is the promise of his coming? For since the fathers fell asleep, all things are continuing as they were from the beginning of creation. For they deliberately overlook this fact that the heavens existed long ago, and the earth was formed out of water and through water by the word of God. And that by means of these, the world that then existed was deluged with water and perished. But by the same word, the heavens and earth that now exist are stored up for fire, being kept until the day of judgment and destruction of the ungodly. Verse 8, But do not overlook this one fact, beloved, that with the Lord one day is as a thousand years, and a thousand years as one day. The Lord is not slow to fulfill his promise, as some of you count slowness, but is patient towards you, not wishing that any should perish, 
but that all should reach repentance. That's where we finished last time. So uh, starting with verse 10, these are our verses for this morning. But the day of the Lord will come like a thief, and then the heavens will pass away with a roar, and the heavenly bodies will be burned up and dissolved, and the earth and the works that are done on it will be exposed. Since all these things are thus to be dissolved, what sort of people ought you to be in lives of holiness and godliness, waiting for and hastening the coming of the day of God, because of which the heavens will be set on fire and dissolved, and the heavenly bodies will melt as they burn. But according to his promise, we are waiting for new heavens and a new earth in which righteousness dwells. All right. Pretty intense verses talking about our future and the, the future of this world. So I want to draw three main points from this. And the first that I want to get or chiefly from verse 10 is that the day of God will come unexpectedly like a, like a thief. It will come at a time where we're not expecting it. It will come, it's not the type of thing where uh, you can have a schedule ahead of time. If a thief is going to rob your house at night, he's not going to make an appointment. He's not going to put it on your calendar. He's not going to you know, uh, send you something through you know, Apple or Google so you can oh, you make this appointment and have it lodged in your calendar so you can expect him. This is going to purposely want to come when you're not expecting it. So Jesus coming, we need to be aware of this uh, because this is telling us, and we're going to see in other places too, he's going to come unexpectedly. So again, one of the things we need to realize is that just because Jesus is patient in his return, we saw last week some of the reasons why this uh, seeming delay, we think people back then thought he should have came by now, and we might think so too, and he has his reasons. But don't assume that, well, it's been 2,000 years, and we know it's going to be another 2,000 and then 20,000, and start to think that, well, he's just never actually going to return. Just because Jesus is patient doesn't mean he isn't coming. He is coming. And we need to know that and we need to live like he is. This passage, as we see, it also refers to the the day of the Lord. The day of the Lord is the the common phrase that's used most often in Scripture. It's used here. It's used a lot of different places. In the New Testament, also a lot of Old Testament background, too, about this time of of God's uh, special activity in this world. And it's referring to a time period, and when it's used in this way, it's uh, not necessarily a a 24-hour day here, but it's a time period specifically of God's special intervention into human history. And although we sometimes think of the Day of the Lord as specifically the the seven-year tribulation period uh, that is coming upon this world, uh, there are other passages where we see that, uh, I've come to see this, that it really stretches all the way from the beginning of this, I think starting right around the rapture, uh, all the way to when the, the new heavens and the new earth are established. Now, I know we have a, a Sunday school class that's uh, going through some of these things uh, in detail. Uh, and we've been talking about this, at least what's in Second Peter for three weeks. But I want to use a little bit of time to give you kind of kind of overview of future events. So as it mentions a few of these things, you know, the, the initial coming of the Lord and then the new heavens and the new earth, that you can kind of, you know, mentally map these into uh, other things that Scripture has told us on how this all kind of fits together. 
So if we think of this and you have a timeline, and if we start with uh, when Jesus came, that's why I have the, the cross on the timeline here, and you know, this is you know, the most uh, crucial time in, in history. This is really the, uh, the, the midpoint, uh, the, at least as far as importance of everything. This, the Son of God comes into this world. He becomes a genuine human being. Uh, the Son of God has always been the Lord. He has always been fully God. But at some point, he came and he took on humanity to himself. So he became fully God and then fully human. And he lived a perfect life on this earth for 30-some years. And then he did what he came to do. Uh, he went to Jerusalem to die on the cross. And he allowed himself uh, to, be, to be killed, to be executed. And he did that to, to pay the price for sinners like me, like you. Anyone that's going to be saved is because Jesus Christ died on the cross for them, taking our punishment on himself. And then the third day, he rose again from the dead, and he appeared to uh, many of his followers, and then he ascended into heaven. And then shortly after that time, in Acts 2, he gives the Holy Spirit, and at that point is when we officially entered what's called the, the church age. And that is what we are in now. We're in the, uh, the, the church age, and we don't know exactly where we're at in this. Uh, if we're, I'd like to think we're at the end. Maybe we are. It seems that. But uh, P- I know people in the early church thought the same way. But if we look at all this, the next thing that is going to uh, come up is uh, what is referred to in Scripture as the, the rapture. The, the catching up of believers to the Lord when Christ returns. And it talks about this in uh, 1 Thessalonians chapter 4. And here I'm giving you the overview. I mean, you're going to have to, on your own, you know, look up some of these passages. And if you're starting to write this chart out, and if you haven't noticed, if you flip over your outline, the chart's right there for you. Okay? So you have it all for you. So this, when the rapture comes, Jesus uh, returns. He returns in the clouds. It doesn't refer to him coming all the way to the ground yet. This is kind of the, be, the first part of his return. And it talks about believers being caught up into the air to meet him. And I think it's a very literal thing as far as what is happening. When Jesus ascended, when he left up, they watched him go up. Here he's coming back. Uh, he's eventually going to come all the way down. But here it doesn't refer to it all the way. And so in these passages, uh, there's this rapture that happens. And now there are different Christians that put this together in different ways. And there's good Christians that do. But this is a way that, that I think it makes sense putting this all together. It's also the view of our church is that the rapture happens and then there's this period that is known as the, the tribulation. Uh, in the book of Daniel, there's this uh, extra week of God uh, dealing with Israel that uh, is still uh, outstanding. There's 69 that have been dealt with and we have this gap period that's uh, the church age, but there's one more of this uh, seven-year period and this would be the time period described in the book of Revelation where there's all these uh, judgments upon the earth and it's going to be an awful time. It's not uh, going to be a great time to be around. Uh, if you're thinking, well, things are kind of miserable now, oh, no, no, this, this is the good days in comparison. Okay? I mean, you read the book of Revelation, you'll see, yeah, this is not a, not a good time. So the seven-year period of tribulation, I believe during that, those that are already saved are with the Lord. They're uh, taken out of this, they're protected from it is, uh, and removed from this, there'll be other people getting saved during this time. Maybe people that they've heard the gospel, but they never, it was in their head, but never really went to their heart. 
other people that, you know, they hear the gospel from someone else for the first time. A lot of people, if they do receive Christ, are martyred during this time. Uh, There's a lot that Scripture talks about. Uh, But at the end of this is when there's the, the final part of the return of Christ, the second coming. When he returns and he comes and he, he comes all the way down. Okay, it talks about this in Revelation 19, among other places. And uh, Jesus Christ returns and he, uh, he defeats the enemies. He uh, brings real justice and real uh, peace to this world. And I think there's going to have to be some refurbishing done because the earth is going to have uh, a lot of damage sustained during the tribulation period. Uh, But then shortly after this, what is going to be set up is what is referred to in Scripture as the Millennial Kingdom, or the Millennium. So it's a thousand-year period where Jesus Christ reigns literally on this earth. And I believe that's how it's going to work out. I, I I don't see any reason why this needs to be metaphorical or symbolic. I think this is a time where Jesus is reigning on the throne of David on this earth. It'll be, you know, a different type of thing. If you're a believer now, we will return with him. You will have an immortal body already. There will be other, you know, mortals on this world. It's going to be very different than what, you know, the world is right now. Uh, but it'll be this time of, of genuine, uh, you know, real justice upon this world. And uh, real peace as the Lord can arrange here for this thousand years. It talks about in the book of Revelation during this time, Satan and his forces are, are bound so they can deceive the nations no more. And this is also why I think we're not in the millennium right now, because it seems like Satan is not bound, and it seems like he's doing a really good job uh, deceiving a lot of people and a lot of nations. So I think this is definitely a time that's in the future, and that'll be, be these are the golden years. This is going to be great. This will last for a thousand years, as it says many times in Scripture. And at the end, there will be um, another rebellion because uh, there will be some people even going through this that um, you know, maybe are obeying on the outside, but in their heart they aren't. Satan is released one last time. He draws this army, uh, but then it is quickly uh, crushed by the Lord. And at this point, uh, you'll have to you know, read the passages here. Uh, there is what is called the, uh, the Great White Throne Judgment. And so Satan is in uh, the, the, the Antichrist, they're thrown into the lake of fire, which is the final hell. Nobody's actually there yet, but that's where the final destination is for the devil and for all that, those that don't trust Christ. Everyone has the opportunity. Everyone is invited. Everyone is even commanded to turn and trust Christ. But those that say, no, thank you, I don't want that, there's one or two ways you're going to go. And if you're following the devil instead, then you're with him forever. In this place, it's described as the, the lake of fire. As we want to warn you and plead you to, to not end up there. And, and Jesus loves you. He died on the cross, so you, you don't have to be there. It's not a matter of being, trying to be a better person. You're never going to be a, a better person enough to earn your way to heaven. Jesus was a, a perfect person for you. And if you trust in him, not only does he take away your sin that he nailed to the cross, but he gives you his credit for his perfect life. And that's the beauty of salvation by grace alone. It's a total free gift. You just need to trust and receive Jesus Christ, turning, turning to him. 
So yeah, turn away from your rebellion. Turn to Jesus Christ. And, and you can be saved. Walk out of here saved. We'd love to talk to you more about that if, if you're unsure of this. But it refers to this as the great white throne. Now this is also the point like after this that it talks about there being a new heaven and a new earth for the old heaven and the new earth had passed away. So after this, you have the new uh, heaven, the new earth, and then basically for eternity. And if there's other things after this, uh, it hasn't been revealed to us, uh, but just the eternity future in this way is where it goes on. In this time where Christ wipes away every, uh, he makes all things new, he wipes away every tear from our eye, and that God is with human beings forever. And we actually spend eternity, as we're going to see, not in, actually not in what we think of now as heaven, but on the, the new earth, this uh, new re- or refurbished earth that God is going to have for us. So this is kind of the kind of mental, the, the map, the kind of picture of all this. And if we think of Second Peter and how it's referring here to the day of the Lord, or it says one time the day of God, I think this is a kind of a long period of time. And so Peter here mentions kind of the beginning point of it, that this is going to start unexpectedly, okay? It's going to start at this any moment where this could come, and we don't know when it's going to be. We have to be ready for it. We have to be prepared and then he mentions the coming of the new heaven and the new earth. Uh, so this, you know, covers this large period. And so there is a part of, well, if you think of a day, and for the, for the Jews, they started thinking of the day with the night, and then there was morning. Uh, so you have the dark part of the day first with the tribulation. But then you have the, uh, the, the good side of it, the, the light side of it, with the, the millennial kingdom for a thousand years. Well, and in that sense, here, you know, a day with, uh, the, the Lord really is going to be about a you know, thousand years plus a few. So I believe this is kind of what we're going to have. Um, you know, where are we in this church age? I, we can't know for sure. Again, I'd love to think that we know that we're, we're right before the rapture, and maybe we are. In one sense, we need to be living like we are. That's the point here, is that at any moment, Christ could return. And so we need to be living that way with a sense of uh, that his return is what's called imminent. And this means that there's nothing prophetically that needs to happen between now and when the beginning of the return of Christ happens with the rapture. There's not uh, this amount of time. uh, And I think this has been true ever since the early church. So I think some of those theories that there had to be this many thousand years, I think don't actually work because that would mean that people could have said, well, you know what, I guess we got at least 2,000 years before Christ is going to come back. You know, no point, you know, watching and waiting now. It's going to be a long time. Uh, we always need to be prepared that, that he could come today. He could come before we even walk out of this room. And we need to be preparing ourselves so that we're, we're expecting and that we would be glad and happy and good to, glad to see him if he returned. Jesus uh, has taught us this himself. In Matthew 24, 43 through 44, uh, Jesus said, uh, but know, that, know this, that if the master of the house had known in what part of the night the thief was coming, he would have stayed awake and would not have let his house be broken into. Therefore, you also must be ready for the Son of Man, he's referring to himself, is coming at an hour that you do not expect. Paul also taught this. 1 Thessalonians 5.2 For you yourselves are fully aware that the day of the Lord will come like a thief in the night. 
I know the Bible talks about signs at some places. I think we have to, uh, even as we think about that, we need to interpret that also with the sense that the return of Christ is imminent and could happen at any moment. I think a lot of the signs and things that are referred to are things that happen uh, during the tribulation period. And there might be some other things that can be kind of general signs that let us know that, oh, it's coming, it's coming, but they're not like so clear that we can use them to like start date setting. I'll just say, whenever you start date setting, you usually get yourself into trouble. I mean, the whole point of this uh, being said many times in scripture is, no, you can't know. It's not like God has his Easter eggs, but if you can find his secret Easter eggs, then you could know. But other people, no, Jesus is saying, I'm not telling you. And on purpose, I'm not telling you so that you're always watching, you're always waiting, you're always living life like he could come back right now. That's the, that's the point of this. So the return of Christ is imminent. This is I-M-M-I-N-E-N-T. And it's, a, I think, an important doctrine. It means the, it, it, it could come at any moment. And so when we talk about the return of Christ being near, uh, they've been saying that for about 2,000 years now. So again, with the Lord, his view of time is different than ours. But this also means that there's uh, imminent, meaning there's not a bunch of media, uh, in-between uh, steps before Christ returns. The next thing coming up, the next big event is the, the rapture and the beginning of the return of Christ. And so be ready. I and mean, that's the big takeaway from this. You'll be living your life to be ready and to be continuously making yourself ready for his return. So that's our first big point. Second, I want to talk about is that the day of God will result in new heavens and a new earth. It will result in, we'll see, the, uh, the destruction, uh, the dismantling of the present world, the present world order, and what's referred to as the new heavens, the new earth. And when it talks about heavens here, it's probably referring to the, the the unseen, the spiritual realm as well, and as well as our uh, earth here. Let me just kind of read this section again, starting verse 10. But the day of the Lord will come like a thief, and the heavens will pass away with a roar, and the heavenly bodies will be burned up and dissolved. And the earth and the works that are done on it will be exposed. And since all these things are thus to be dissolved, what sort of people ought you to be in lives of holiness and godliness? waiting for and hastening the coming of the day of God, because of which the heavens will be set on fire and dissolved, and the heavenly bodies will melt as they burn. But according to his promise, we are waiting for a new heaven and a new earth, new heavens and a new earth in which righteousness dwells. I remember being in first grade, and we had art class. And my art teacher, was his name was Mr. Aubert, which I thought was kind of cool because it sounds like Drawbert, but um, he was Mr. Uh, Aubert, and he would come in and he would teach us little drawings, and he had, you know, a thing of, uh, you know, paper we would flip over, and he would do this cool drawing. He takes these markers and, you know, draw like a uh, kind of a cartoonish-looking guy or a dog or something or different things, and a lot of times he would do it, and he would, you know, uh, give it away to one of the students, and we thought, we thought they were really cool because they were really good drawings. And so, you know, we raise our hand, see who was lucky enough to get Mr. Robert's drawing that he did. And I remember one time, Mr. Robert, uh, he drew something that was really cool and was getting ready to try and, you know, be the person that gets this. And he took it and he, he finished and he said, all right, and he tore it in half. 
I remember being like, what, what did you do that for? And he said, oh, I can draw another one. And I remember thinking, you know, I probably didn't use these words in my mind, but I remember thinking, what a boss move. You know, that he can just draw this and he can just make another one whenever he wants. You know, and for the longest time, when I thought about this passage of Scripture, I kind of thought about that, you know, with Mr. Robert, just he can make it and, you know, he can just tear it up and he can just make a new one because he can do that. And I thought, well, that's just what, what God is doing, that he, he made this world and it's great, but you know what? If he wants, he's sovereign over it. He can rip it up and he can just, he can make a new one or a better one and do it just like that. And I think there might be something to that. And this world is the Lord's. He created it. He is sovereign over it. And it's his to dispose of if he wants to. He doesn't owe it to you know, anyone else. He can uh, do that. As I've looked at this passage more, I've come to realize that uh, maybe I was misunderstanding this a little bit, though. That it might not be the case that when he talks about the heavens and everything being uh, destroyed, I, might, I realize I might want to be a little bit careful as far as what I'm assuming that God is doing. And depending what translation we're looking at it, and depending what we're thinking the words mean, you know, we can assume it means like every little, the, every last atom is completely, you know, destroyed in this world. Everything is completely annihilated, and God completely starts from scratch for something else. And maybe, but I've also realized that there are uh, a few different translations. There's translation issues. There's some textual issues as far as some of what the words mean. And I want to just show you a little bit to kind of compare some of these a little bit. So um, we'll start with uh, King James, uh, just because the oldest of the versions we're going to look at. And here, looking at verse 10, the heavens shall pass away with a great noise, which, by the way, a great noise, or others say like a roar. Uh, the word was used of the sound of like a, uh, sometimes like an arrow, you know, going through the, the wind, making this noise. But it probably had more of the idea of like the sound like a forest fire would make coming through, this kind of whooshing, you know, noise as uh, there's destruction going on. So the heavens will pass with great noise, and the elements, uh, I have different words highlighted because I'm going to compare them different translations. It says it will melt with fervent heat, and it says in the earth, and the works that are therein shall be burned up. So that's the King James. There's the New King James, which basically says the same thing. Some of the key parts here, elements, uh, melt with fervent heat, and it will be burned up. So now I just want to compare with a few other uh, translations here. Uh, the ESV is what I've been using. Uh, it's Pew Bible. Uh, it's, a, it's a good translation. I'm not saying any of these are the perfect translation, but it translates in a slightly different way. The heavens will pass away with a roar, and this one says the heavenly bodies. Uh, because the phrase here for elements can be translated a few different ways. You know, it can also refer to different parts of creation, even the, the stars of, you know, what we see as the planets and all these different things. It has a footnote saying, or elements, but it goes with a, a different translation there. And it says, will be burned, and burned up and dissolved, and the earth and the works that are done on it will be exposed. Being exposed. Okay, what, is, what does that mean? Well, let's look at a few others. The New American Standard Bible, the heavens will pass away with a roar and the elements, so it uses elements, will be destroyed with intense heat and the earth and its works will be discovered. It's using that because it's translating what it believes the the correct word here, which has the idea of being kind of manifest, being exposed, discovered. uh, Well, we'll see the NIV also deals with this. 
and translates that last word as, as laid bare. So the NIV, the heavens will disappear with the roar, the elements will be destroyed by fire, and the earth and everything on it will be laid bare. We've mentioned that this is the last week that we have the carpet that's in here. And we're going to be getting new carpeting. We're going to be taking the, the pews out. A lot of things that are in this room are going to be taken out of here. And so there will be this sense that, you know, we're going to um, kind of strip this room down so that it can be kind of redone. It's still going to be the same room. It's still going to be the same worship center. Uh, in fact, even, you know, the, the pews will be the same pews. They've been recovered. Uh, but there's a sense where... Um, you know, even this worship center would be kind of, you know, laid bare so it can be kind of redone, so that it can be refurbished. And so when we think of, you know, the earth and, you know, the, the fire that comes on it and everything it's talking about, you know, I wonder if it's kind of the, a picture of like a forest fire going through, you know, and it, it's stripping things down, it's laying, you know, the, the ground bare, exposing it. Uh, and so there's going to be a lot of, you know, devastation. There's going to be a lot that's going to be uh, kind of removed but this might mean that it's not that every single atom that God has created and that's in this world, every single particle is going to be absolutely, you know, annihilated and completely, you know, sent to oblivion and God's going to recreate everything. It might be something kind of in the middle where God uh, takes his creation and, yeah, you know, uh, strips it down, uh, but then, you know, recreates it, you know, quite a bit, maybe kind of in the same sense, like, with the worship center here. Now, I know it says elements, and we tend to think, oh, elements, periodic table of the elements. You got, you know, hydrogen, helium, and uh, carbon, and all of this. Uh, but, you know, when they talked about elements there, if they were thinking the elements, they're thinking, you know, earth, water, fire, uh, air, you know, basic building blocks. They weren't thinking periodic table of the elements like we are. So I think it means that things are going to be, you know, taken down to its basic elements. Uh, but, and I can't say anything about this with absolute certainty, but I've kind of realized that God doesn't tend to just completely scrap what he has made. That usually what he tends to do is he tends to uh, repair it. He doesn't abandon it, he repairs it, he restores it, he upgrades it even to something better. I think about your body and my body. If we are still around, well, if we die before Christ returns, you know, our body is either going into the ground or one way it's, it's turning to ash or dust or, and we got bones. And, but there's going to be a resurrection that it talks about at the time of the rapture, that we are, we're resurrected. And so the body is put back together. Because God designed us to be physical beings, spiritual and physical, and that's what God said is good, and God is going to raise the physical body. And so the physical is good. He's going to put us back together. And I think the same way, like when Jesus was raised from the dead, there's going to be a lot of continuity between that body. Jesus still had the, the scars in his hand and the, on his side. Now, depending on how long you've been dead and how much is left to you, you know, I don't know exactly how it's going to work. I have a feeling God's going to use as much of the original material as he can to put us back together. There might be other things he needs to do. Uh, that's, that's a God problem. He, he, he can figure that out. Um, but I think it's going to, there's going to be at least some continuity with us. And so I do wonder if it's, you know, with this world that, yeah, it, it might be like, you know, uh, stripped to the studs, so to speak, uh, but that God, when he rejuvenates it, it's 
it's his new creation, but it's his, um, his refurbished, his, uh, uh, he's restoring it and upgrading it rather than absolutely, completely replace, replacing everything. Because he created this world and he said it's good. And um, it seems to be like him that he would, you know, win victory by, by fixing this world. However, you know, like a house being remodeled, there, there's going to be some serious demo work that's going to be happening here. We can't get around that with this verse and how it's talking. So some applications from this. I think one thing we realize, and it talks about when this is done, it talks about there is this new heaven and this new earth that is coming. And I just want to read you then, you know, from the book of Revelation where it talks about this as well because it's, it's such a beautiful passage to think about this. Uh, Revelation 21, read you first five verses. It says, Then I saw a new heaven and a new earth, for the first heaven and the first earth had passed away and the sea was no more. And I saw the holy city, the new Jerusalem, coming down out of heaven from God, prepared as a bride, adorned for her husband. And I heard a loud voice from the throne saying, Behold, the dwelling place of God is with man, and he will dwell with them. And they will be his people, and God himself will be with them as their God. Which, by the way, it all depends how you define what heaven is. If you define heaven as where God is, where God is going to be for eternity, I mean, he's everywhere. But in his, his special localized presence, it's going to be on the, the new earth with, with us. And so I know the Lord is with us and he comforts us, uh, but he's not with us right now like he will be when he physically, when he actually literally returns for us. And there will be a day where the Lord will be like with us, where we can see him, where he will be uh, with us in a more, much more literal, just more awesome way, kind of forever. So in a way, heaven comes down to earth and God is, is with us. But we spend the eternity on this new refurbished earth, which I think is going to, by the way, be a lot more physical than sometimes we imagine. So if the devil has you thinking, well, I don't know about heaven, it sounds pretty boring. What do you float around on clouds and you strum harps and you, uh, you, know, just sing, you have to sing hymns just all day long? You know, there might be, there's going to be worship music and it's going to be uh, even better than anything you've sang here. But I think there's going to be all kinds of other things. I think there's going to be so the beauty of God's creation. I mean, think of the beauty that we see even here in this world now. There's still some awesome beauty. But this world is fallen. And if the world can still be as beautiful as it is, with it marred and fallen, imagine what it's going to be like when you have the, the, the new and improved, the refurbished, the restored, the upgraded version. And I think we're going to have time, you know, seeing that and, and being able to, you know, worship God, just, you know, seeing just his, his majesty and his creation and, and all of this. There's going to be so many things. I think there's going to be jobs. I think there's going to be work for us to do, not in a way that there's frustration and it's, um, it's uh, you know, awful to do it. Right now we live in a world with entropy where things fall apart. You know, uh, work has been cursed, but it's going to be lifted and everything will be a joy. You know, we, we're created to be people that are, that are builders, that are developers, like God is. And so I think there's going to be, you're not going to be bored in heaven ever, okay? First of all, God is there. He's the main thing, and there's going to be all kinds of stuff. And it's going to be um, more, uh, maybe like this earth than we realize. 
And for those of you that uh, you know, love golf, who knows? I'll, I'll let you speculate on that. So it says, the dwelling place is with them. The verse 4, and gets, he will wipe away every tear from their eyes, and death shall be no more. All things that make us sad, all the things that genuine, genuinely are terrible and hard in this world, because sin is awful. And the effects of sin and what it does and our mortality... And even if you live to be 100 years old, that is still a early death compared to what we were created for. But one day God undoes all of that. So whether your death was, in our point of view, at a good ripe old age or way too early, for believers, God undoes all of that. We're back together, ourselves back together and back together with our loved ones, with each other. And this is the, it's not just a, a hope in scripture in the sense of oh, I hope this happens this is a promise in scripture promise from God you know, wipe away every tear death shall be no more neither there shall be mourning nor crying nor pain anymore for the former things have passed away if you're not a fan of pain it's fine it's here for now but it's not forever in verse 5 and he who is seated on the throne said behold I'm making all things new he also said, write this down, and these words are trustworthy and true. Believe these things. So with this, earth is actually your eternal home. I know sometimes say this, earth, earth is not my home, just heaven. Okay, well, okay, it depends what you mean. But there is a sense that earth is your home. We were created to be on earth. God, when he created original mankind, he put us here. He said it was good. Okay, he's not against the physical, so earth is your eternal home, but not earth like it is now. Things are messed up in a lot of different ways, not just physically, but also just how this world is ran. Uh, just There's so much that's dysfunctional in this world. Uh, so on one hand, don't live your life for the world system and everything that seems to be great here and now and for this world as it is. But also don't like detach from this world in the sense that physical is terrible and there's no importance to this. God created it good and he's going to uh, have us on an eternal uh, home, which is the new heavens and the new earth. The new earth is where we live forever. But this present version of earth won't last. So don't live for it. Don't live like this, this is going to be forever. This is everything. Spend your whole life slaving away, sacrificing things that are more important for things that are just temporary and not really important in the long run. Think of this, how many times people, they uh, pay out with their lives, their money, their time, their effort for things that don't really matter. They're not going to last. As we mentioned, this is the last week with this carpeting. Okay? And so... This week, okay, we are not going to pay to have the carpeting steam cleaned, okay? That wouldn't make any sense. I'm not going to tell Kim, you better make sure everything here is, you know, custodial staff, better get everything here perfect for when this carpet... No, that wouldn't make sense. That would be a waste. Uh, at this point, you know, this carpet is, is going. And so to invest in something in that sense where it's going to be taken up, but how much... Sometimes that we invest in all these things in our lives for things that aren't ultimately going to last, that don't make sense, that's really poor stewardship 
to do that. So we have this, uh, this promise of God's coming. This world is going to be tons of demo work going on. It's going to be stripped down, laid bare, at least taken to the studs, maybe or who knows how, what God's going to do that's up to him. But then God's going to either recreate, uh, refurbish, put things back together, and we have this new, new heavens and new earth, uh, everything that uh, we'll spend eternity on that he promises for us. Here's my last point. And this is the point, this is right there in the passage, and we got to make sure that we focus on this one. Because this is the application that Peter gives us about these truths. You can have this knowledge, but what are you going to do with this knowledge? And he tells us, right there in verse 11, I'm going to say it like this, knowledge of the approaching day of God should make us better Christians here and now. Sometimes when we think of talking about the end times or things that are coming or with eschatology, eschatology is the, the name for the studying of the end times. Okay, but it, sometimes we think of it, well, oh, it's stuff in the future, stuff then, and it really doesn't matter, and we can try to predict all these things that are going to happen. But look at verse 11 again. Since all these things are thus to be dissolved, what sort of people ought you to be in lives of holiness and godliness. If all of this is happening, if all of this is going to take place, how should this change you now? How must this change you now? Here and now, in our lives, and it talks about holiness, and it talks about godliness. In verse 12, waiting for and hastening the day, the coming of the day of God. Let me be clear, we should study eschatology. We should, because it's in Scripture. It's in a lot of places in Scripture. And done in the right way, it does change us, it motivates us, it helps us see things about God. It helps us kind of lift our minds from this world and thinking that this world is just going to be like it is all the time. And I enjoy studying end times and eschatology. I grabbed that in my office here. This is my copy of uh, Things to Come by J. Dwight Pentecost. I ordered this book from uh, the Christian Book Distributor Catalog uh, my senior year of high school. I thought, this looks interesting. And I spent some time in my senior year in the, the library study hall, and instead of reading other homework I was probably supposed to be doing, you know, uh, study things to come. You know, this is back in the day before I uh, started taking the book covers off to keep them all nice, so I throw it in my backpack so it's all worn and stuff. So, I mean, I like studying this stuff. I like the intricacy of it and putting together all the details as far as what God has revealed, what he hasn't revealed, where is there still mystery, and uh, just finding out all these things and uh, so many things that it touches on. It's an important topic in Scripture to study. But it's not the only thing in Scripture. There's all kinds of other topics about God, about salvation, about how we need to live our lives. And if we're studying things in the end times because it's easier to deal with that than to deal with what's going on here in our hearts, our lives, if it's easier to study these things than for me to think about how am I, how am I loving my wife? How am I loving my kids? How am I with the people around me? How am I battling against sin in my heart and my life? Then we're getting everything wrong. All of this should motivate us 
to work on ourselves, to work on what really matters, to work on our lives, holiness and godliness. That's what it says, what Peter tells us in this passage. So if you love studying eschatology, but it doesn't change how you live for the better, you're missing the point. If you spend more time working on your end times charts than you spend working on your own life in your own heart, there's a problem. So again, study eschatology. Study the whole Bible, okay? That's how you're going to get balance. You're going to hit not just the stuff that's interesting to you, but you're going to get everything. You're going to find plenty of end time stuff here, and you're going to find plenty of other stuff because God wants you to have the, the full counsel of God's word. And really, you need to see how everything relates to everything anyways for any of it to, to really make sense. So study it, but remember, it's uh, not the only thing, and when you do study it, it should change us now. Knowledge of the Lord's coming should motivate us. So be motivated to grow in holiness, to grow in, in godliness. And think of how this should change us. You know, if you are at home alone and you're not expecting anyone to come to the door, okay, you might be there and you might be in your, 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 your sweatpants and your, uh, you know, you don't worry about, you know, washing your hair and taking a shower. You might be stinking gross. It doesn't matter because no one's coming. But if you knew that there was, there was company that was going to be arriving at any moment, it's probably going to change how you live. Dep- well, depending if it's someone that you think, I really would like to be presentable for this person when they arrive. And so, yeah, maybe you're going to put on some clean clothes. You know, maybe you're going to comb your hair. Maybe you're going to you know, do what you need to do so that you can be you know, presentable for the, when this person that you respect you know, comes to the door. If that's true for our just earthly company, how much more if we're waiting for the return of our, our Lord and Savior? Are we going to say, well, I'm, I'm going to live in the, the nasty sweatpants of my sin and uh, my disheveled life and I have nothing together? Or with God's help, are we going to try to improve our lives, to live in godliness and holiness? Again, you're not saved by cleaning up your life. You need to make that clear. The only thing that saves you from hell is trusting in Jesus Christ who paid the price in full for you. But once he saves you, God wants to start changing you from the inside out and helps you to do that. And so knowledge of his coming is one of the things it should change how we live and how we uh, strive with his help for holiness and for godliness. Not in a legalistic way, but because, but because we're excited for Jesus to come back. Make ourselves ready for him. And this should give us a different view of everything here and now. Again, there's going to be certain things that we don't live for because we realize they're not permanent. Uh, some of you students, you know, that uh, if you go to, uh, you know, public school, you know, you have a few weeks left. Are you going to be spending uh, a lot of your time decorating your locker, you know, working on that? Like, well, there's no point. It's, we got like two weeks of school, less than that. The seniors have already, uh, at least at TK, have finished up. You know, it just, it, there's certain things that wouldn't make sense to do. You know, if there's things that you know about this world, are you going to, if there was a company that you knew was going to go belly up, would you invest your life savings into it? No, you wouldn't. At the same time, and I want to have a balanced view on this, don't think that this world doesn't matter. Because that can be the other extreme. And sometimes uh, we can fall into that where we're like, well, this doesn't matter. It's, everything's just going to burn, so who cares? You know, if I want to pollute a lake, I'm going to pollute a lake. I don't care. You know, this is all getting trashed, and so I'm going to help it along. 
Well, I think that's a wrong attitude in a lot of different ways. And I think really foolish and also disrespectful. I actually thought about this. Um, you know, I was thinking about ideas and how do I, you know, communicate this message. I thought, oh, we got the carpeting here. You know, it's being torn up. And I thought, you know, I could make a point. I could bring in like a big can of like red paint or something, you know, and be like, look, it doesn't matter. And like splash paint all over the place. You know, see, this carpeting's getting torn up, so who cares? But first of all, okay, that probably be a bad idea in many ways. But then it can hit you. It's like, well, okay, we think <laughs> the carpeting's getting replaced this week. You know, what if we get a phone call, you know, and uh, we find out, yeah, there's been a delay. It's going to be another week. Or maybe, who knows, supply chain. You, and we're stuck with, you know, paint all over the carpeting for the next year. Or who knows? But, you know, it's not just that. Realize if to do something like that, I know it's just carpeting, okay? But this carpeting was paid for by, by people wanting to build a space here for the worship of God. This carpeting has been here. Think of how many people have come to know Christ on top of this carpeting. You know how many people have walked down uh, this carpeting here, up here, and entered into the, the holy covenant of marriage? You know how many kids have come up on this carpeting, or parents have come up on this carpeting here with their children, dedicating their, uh, their children to Jesus Christ? All the things that have happened. And, you know, to just make some cute little point, I'd just be disrespectful. And again, we know it's just carpeting, but there's a level of respect. And so we think about this world that we live in today. Yep, God is going to, it talks about it's going to burn, dissolve, he's going to take it apart. But you know what? That's God's prerogative to do that. He's the one that gets to do it because he's sovereign. He is the one, he made this, he can do that, not us. Our responsibility is to be good stewards of it here. And also God created us and said that it's good. And we need to treat it as such. Not just because we don't know if it's going to be another year or another 2,000 years. or we, we don't know. We need to live as if Christ could be coming back any moment. But we also need to be prepared that, uh, that it might be a long time as well too. And to have appropriate investments in things and uh, you know, institutions and, and doing our best to care about this world uh, because we don't know how long it's going to be and we don't want to just trash this, both the physical world and our society, not for, for us, but for our kids and grandkids and who knows how many generations it might be until the Lord returns. So we want to have this balanced view of every part of stewardship of this world. Yes, it's not going to last as it is, but we should be smart. We should treat it with respect during this time. And we especially need to realize, as we think about all this, that what is going to last is people. That people last forever. So the investments that you make in the lives of people, think of your kids. Think of people around you. Think of your neighbors, your people in the workplace. You're going to spend eternity one place or another. Are they going to be with you uh, and with the Lord on the, in the new earth? Or are they going to be in the other place the Bible mentions, apart from him, like a fire? Anything that you invest in your lives, time, talent, treasure, to help change the eternal destiny of someone from lake of fire with the devil to new earth with Jesus, no pain, no tears, no sorrow, 
joy forevermore, that's an investment that's worth making. That's an investment you can't go wrong with. You're going to be happy for that. The Lord will be happy for that. That's eternal. Last week, or next week, we have one more week of this talking through Second Peter. I want, I want to give you assignment. I can't make you do this, but I want to encourage you sometime, maybe today, read through all of Second Peter again. It actually won't take you that long. Because you read through it again, all the stuff that's going to come back to you, it's going to knit together, things are going to be reminded. And we're going to see next week's passage is going to tie everything together. And so it's going to reveal, this is the purpose of why Peter wrote this to his audience and to us. And as we do this, as we think about this and everything that's, uh, uh, that's coming up in the future, um, I want to just leave you with this. You know, sometimes people think, well, thinking about heaven, thinking about this, you know, it's, it's all pie in the sky. And some people are so heavenly minded, they're of no earthly good. You hear people say that? I want to leave you this quote. This is from C.S. Lewis and kind of him referring to this. This is a great quote. If you read history, you will find that the Christians who did the most for the present world were just those who thought most of the next. The apostles themselves who set on foot the conversion of the Roman Empire, the great men who built up the Middle Ages, the English evangelicals who abolished the slave trade, all left their mark on earth precisely because their minds were occupied with heaven. It is since Christians have largely ceased to think of the other world that they have become so ineffective in this. Aim at heaven and you will get earth thrown in. Aim at earth and you'll get neither. Let's pray. Lord God, let us believe your word, your promises that you said are true. You are returning. You are coming back. And when you do, this world is going to be dismantled. There are going to be, this present world as it is will be no more. And we look forward to the, the, the new earth and the new heavens, the, what you will bring after this, where there will be perfection, Lord. May we be with you, Lord God. May we help those that are around us and around this world to be with you in that paradise. Thank you for the shed blood of Jesus Christ because without that, none of us would have any hope. But with that, there is hope for even the person here that believes they have sinned the worst against you. And they can turn to you and they can be saved by your grace. Lord, we long for your appearing. Lord Jesus, come quickly. In your name we pray. Amen.